A popular Outcast production. Welcome to another episode of the Portable Power Podcast, the podcast that has had it literally all the way up to here with Little League Baseball. <laughs> this is episode 43. I'm Kevin Seibert, and with me is... Emma Smith. And Mark Matters. Let's get things started here. Uh, Mark, how are you doing? I'm um, doing okay. Busy, busy, busy. Busy with uh, anything in particular? Um, well, I mean, work, like, you know, 40 plus hours a week, and then... Um, spending late nights listening to music and illustrating. I'm working on a board game with a friend of mine. That's exciting. I can't say a lot about it, but we're going to do a Kickstarter. He's going to do a Kickstarter. I'm going to drop bunch of pictures. That's really all I'm doing. <laughs> Are you drinking anything tonight? I am. Tonight I have a full sale out of somewhere in Oregon. <laughs> uh, they're ESB, Extra Special Bitter. Um, it's only available for 90 days, and it's in extra special, strong, bitter, whatever you want to call it, uh, 6.5%. Mostly malty. It's only got like 35 IBUs, but um, it's a nice uh, late summer, early fall beer. I'm enjoying it. It doesn't sound extra strong or extra bitter to me. I know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually neither, now that you mention it. Yeah. What are you, uh, what are you playing that's not for the show? So I downloaded um, for iOS the Final Fantasy Portal app, and this app is... It's really for, like, um, fanboys and girls of Final Fantasy. There's a lot of news and stuff like that. But the main reason I downloaded it is included with your download of the Final Fantasy Portal app is Triple Triad, the card game from Final Fantasy VIII, which is actually a lot of fun. Yeah. And um, it's like an updated version, and it's, it's pretty simple. And matches are only, you know, a couple minutes, so you can blast through it really quick. And um, it's a lot of fun. I recommend it. It's free. I also um, spent the morning, uh, today was my day off, playing uh, New Super Luigi U, and my son was watching, and um, probably the most restraint I've ever had to use with my curse words, because that game is the freaking hardest game ever, and I will never beat it. I'm probably on like World 4 or 5, and I will never, ever, ever finish it. Wow, that it, I didn't know it was that difficult. Yeah, I mean, you only get 100 seconds on the timer, and Luigi has floaty physics, and it's pretty tough. Um, all right, well, question of the week. If you had to do one or the other, would you rather drink a pint of vomit or a shot of diarrhea? <laughs> the smell of vomit will make me vomit. I would never be able to get the vomit down, so I would do a shot of diarrhea and then live out the rest of my days in shame. <laughs> <laughs> I think I could. I think I could get a shot of diarrhea down. I don't. I don't. 
I don't even know if I could get a shot of vomit down because the smell would just ruin me. You couldn't plug your nose? I didn't know that was part of the deal. <laughs> Usually when people come up with these ridiculous scenarios, like, no, you can't plug your nose. You have to do this. You have to do this. One finger in your butt. <laughs> <laughs> Emrys, how are you doing tonight? I'm spiffy. Are you drinking something tonight? Just water. Good old-fashioned H2O. It's so not like you. All right, that's cool. <laughs> yep. Is there anything that you're playing that's not for the show? Yeah, I'm playing Pillars of Eternity again because the expansion is coming out on Tuesday. Wait, what? what is Pillars of Eternity? Pillars of Eternity is a, uh, a single-player computer RPG um, in the style of Baldur's Gate and Baldur's Gate 2 and Icewind Dale and those classic games. Oh, right. Yeah, I, I remember which one this is now. Okay. And, of course, Hearthstone, because the Grand Tournament's coming out on uh, Tuesday as well. Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Doesn't it come out tomorrow? I thought Tuesday. No, um, today's the 23rd, and I saw on the internet that it comes out on the 24th, so... Wow. Tomorrow... Hot damn. Call in sick. I've been I've been stashing all my gold for a while now. I've got uh fourteen hundred. I have I have six hundred or so. I'm gonna be doing a lot of arenas for a while, I think. Alright, well question of the week for you. If you had to do one or the other, would you drink a pint of vomit or a sh- yes, or a shot of diarrhea? Okay. <laughs> now I think a lot depends on the consistency of the vomit. Like, no, you, 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 don't, you don't know. You don't know. See, this is what I was talking about. <laughs> yeah, I'd pick the vomit straight up. Because diarrhea, I have a pretty good idea that it's going to be awful, but vomit could go a lot of different ways. If it's just like pure applesauce vomit, that wouldn't be so bad. <laughs> <sighs> if it was like sorority girl vomit, it'd be fine. It's just all like cotton candy and Smirnoff ice. Right, yeah, you'd probably get <laughs> drunk off of it. Yeah, you just you you have you have no way of knowing. I mean, there, there's a very strong chance that it could be homeless guy vomit who has been living on a steady diet of his own diarrhea for the last five years. Oh my gosh! So <laughs> diarrhea <laughs> vomit. <laughs> to be diarrhea vomit. That yeah. seems unlikely. I'm willing to roll the dice on the vomit because there's like a, a large band of tolerability for the vomit. But the diarrhea is very, it's very consistent. Like there's, it's not going to be tolerable diarrhea. There's no way. <laughs> We're going to have to have a tiebreaker here pretty soon. The chances of just being pure diarrhea vomit are pretty slim. I'm willing to, I'm willing to make that bet. All right. You're a gambling man. Yeah. I like it. Well, tonight I'm drinking 16 mile brewing company. Um, from uh, Georgetown, Delaware, um, Old Court Ale. It's an American pale ale. It's also sort of wimpy on the alcohol content. It's only really 6.1, but it has this, you know, appealing caramely flavor. I'm not usually a pale ale fan, but I'm enjoying this one fairly all right. What are you playing? Well, I have a new appreciation, a new, I guess, obsession you could call it, with um, ROM hacks. Oh, yeah. I recently obtained Mega Man Ultra, Zelda 2 Shadow of the Night, or Shadow of something, I forget, and uh, Chrono Trigger Crimson Echoes. I ba- it's basically making me realize that I don't actually like video games anymore, because I like these games way more than I like anything that's come out in the last probably 15 years. Wow. Right? So, I mean, 
what can you tell me about some of these? Like, like what's the diff- Like, what's this Chrono Trigger thing? Is it a sequel? Is it a Gaiden? Like, what is it? It's. Um, I mean, it's it's a huge game, so I've barely gotten anywhere. In it. Like, like I basically played it long enough to make sure that it works because I was putting all of my time into putting together that comedy show. Um, and I didn't want to get involved in an RPG just yet, yeah. so like I played it for a little bit. But yeah, it's it's um, it is like a essentially a sequel um, with some some differences okay. in it. Like apparently, um, like Chrono actually talks. Oh, like subtle differences like that. All this stuff sounding like maybe you'd be interested in getting Mario Maker when it comes out and playing a lot of the user levels and stuff. You know, that's that's what I would be into. Like, the more I see about Mario Maker, the more interested I become in it. Um, although, what it yeah. makes me really want is for them to make a game called Zelda Maker. Yeah, that's what a lot of people are saying. This needs to be next. Well, yeah, but like the, the thing is, like Mario Maker is a much less ambitious project. <laughs> because like you can sure. make one level at a time, and Zelda has like a whole world that has to interlock and like dungeons if you're going to do a proper Zelda experience and right like making making a game with a, with Zelda Maker would not only be a massive file size but it would take months of work well it would be hard to do in the same way as Mario Maker because Mario Maker you can switch between Mario 1, Mario 3, um what Super Mario and New Super Mario styles and with Zelda it's like what are they going to do <laughs> like you can't translate directly Zelda 1 to an Ocarina of Time engine. Like, it just doesn't work. Throw out the Ocarina of Time engine, burn it in every single reality, <laughs> pocket reality, uh, completely from existence because I don't like that <laughs> game. Um, no, the, fine, fine, fine. G- give the options of, just for the sake of consistency, as much as I love Zelda 2, just do Zelda 1 or A Link to the Past. Or, like, Minish Cap. Okay. Oh yeah, or a link between worlds because that's a different art style. That that could work. That that's the game. That's the game that I want. Question of the week, Kevin. Um, shit or puke? Well, I'm going to come down on the side of shit. <laughs> just because, just because, it's over so much faster. It's and a smaller you, quantity. It's a smaller quantity, and you just you know that it's going to be horrible. So if there's anything about it, this like it, it would be very easy for it to be less horrible than you expect it to be. Like, I would go into it expecting it to be just the worst thing ever, and maybe it wouldn't be. (laughs) I don't see how, but okay. Well, I've eaten one of those Harry Potter vomit jelly beans. Okay. And I couldn't even get that down. So there's no chance I'm getting a pint of vomit down. (laughs) Even if it is sorority girl, whatever the fuck, vomit. No, it's not happening. That's fair. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Well, um, let's move into the reviews then. Kevin, you're reviewing a game that I was very interested in playing and then found out I couldn't, so I would love to hear about that. Reviewing Loot and Legends. It's developed by Dropforge Games. It is free on iTunes, but for iPad only. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, you're you're missing out on something. 
I don't know how much you're missing out on. Well, okay, so Luton Legends is a weird mashup of a CCG turn-based tactics RPG. That might sound a little bit weird, but here's sort of how it works. It has, like, the isometric view of, like, a tactics RPG, sort of like uh, Final Fantasy Tactics or um, Tactics Ogre or anything like, you know, that series. Mm-hmm. But unlike those games where, you know, what you do, like, you have a movement range that's governed by your class, you can you can decide, you know, what, what weapons to equip, stuff like that. Like, um, everything in Luton Legends is govern is governed by a card. Like, you can't walk without a card that lets you walk. And every card that you play takes a turn, and you alternate turns with your enemy. Um, you get a warrior, a priest, and a mage. Those are the three characters that you get to work with. As far as I can tell, that's all you ever get. I, I didn't finish the game, um, but I played it for quite a while, and that was all the more characters I got. Um, as your characters gain experience points and level up, they unlock additional equipment slots. And equipment is handled pretty interestingly in this game because it dictates what cards your deck is made up of. Um, so, and you get rare equipment, uncommon equipment, common equipment, that sort of thing. Um, every time you finish a battle, you get a chest filled with loot. You can decide to equip it or not. And pretty quickly, you start to get a pretty wide selection of equipment that you can put on your characters. So this makes it possible for you to try different card combinations. Like, for example, a weapon... Like, every weapon plays differently. Like, they might have... Like, one might be better range, but one might be more powerful. Um, it, it's, it all depends on how you decide to work your strategy. Um, ideally, you'd find a way to, like, synergize your character's decks between each other. It encourages a lot of experimentation, because the game really doesn't tell you anything about strategy. It's, it just says, oh, this is how you do this. Good luck figuring that out. <laughs> I'm like, you know, that's not to say the tutorial is bad. The tutorial is very good at explaining the basic mechanics. However, it does not tell you, by the way, this is a good combo right here. So I personally haven't had problems with getting a deck that works well. But I mean, I I have a significant amount of CCG experience. Uh, So I don't know what the general audience experience is going to be with that. I like that you get so much equipment right away, though, because it lets you play around. That's the fun part of a CCG, to me. Since it is free, it does have in-app purchases, but I don't find them to be terribly offensive. Like, you can buy equipment, and, like, if you spend more points or whatever they're called, I, I don't remember. I took very poor notes for this review. If you buy more of these points, you have a higher chance of getting, like, a really rare piece of equipment. Rare doesn't necessarily mean that it's better. You can probably do just as well with a common piece of equipment if you synergize well. But oh, generally speaking, it seems like the rarer the equipment is, the more potent its abilities are. Makes sense. Yeah. So it's basically handled like a tabletop game. The priest, dwarf, and mage are game pieces. They have no personality. Um, you move them, they're treated like toys, because that's what they are. The, the whole thing is 
uh, themed around tabletop gaming, you have, a, you know, this in-game character who is your DM, and he's really the character in the game. And the, the story of the game, oddly enough, seems like, you know, he's he's being a DM, he's telling a story like, oh, you're gonna have to fight some kobolds now, or something like that. And then, like, intermittently, this uh, pizza girl keeps showing up that he has a crush on, and then he <laughs> does the whole, like, Big Bang Theory thing, where he's like, oh, I can't talk to girls, because I'm a dork. Um, so, I... I, I Figure, like, the further you get into the game, like, maybe, like, the the end of the game, like, he asks around. That seems to be the story of the game. I don't know. That's cool that there's, like, a meta-narrative. Yeah, like, I, I like that about it. It's not been enough to really hold my interest in the story, though. It's a unique take. It's not necessarily going to hold my interest through completion. The thing is, um, I was playing this alongside um, Fire Emblem Awakening, which is just a vastly superior tactics RPG. Yeah. Say what you will about Fire Emblem's writing. I'll I'll agree that largely, um, you know, the stories are not terribly remarkable, but the characters all have such unique traits, even if they are really over the top, that, like, you actually feel bad when, you know, they die in combat. Um, Whereas in this game, like, not only do they not die, but, like, you just can't be bothered to care about any of them. Like, I'll routinely just have my, you know, low hit point, low armor mage bum rush the enemies and get filled with arrows and I feel nothing. <laughs> so, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like it loses something in not having character traits assigned to the characters. Because, like, that, that's one of the things that, uh, what, you know, when I was playing Dungeons & Dragons that I liked was that everybody was a character. Like, when, you know... As a tank, um, like I was concerned for the safety of my party because I didn't want these characters to die, and I didn't feel the same thing in this game. Even though, like, it draws inspiration from games like Dungeons and Dragons or other miniatures games. That so I don't know. I, I guess like the presentation is interesting. I like that it's a unique take. There's it, it's it's all very silly, and I think I think that's intentional. And it has a nice art style. However, um, the aspect of it being a game, like it being a board game, makes it so that uh, none of the game environments are terribly interesting. Oh, I see. Like, rather than having pillars, they have, like, a square that represents a pillar. Like, it's, you know, a different shade. So, like, this is a pillar. You have no line of sight here. It's like, oh. Uh, and the other thing is there's not a whole lot of explanation for what things are, so occasionally I would find myself, like, standing in lava. It's like, oh, it wasn't obvious that was lava, but now that I'm getting burned, it's very clear that it's lava. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of a flaw. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, I mean, I don't know how much of a flaw it is. Be, like, like, it sucks, for sure, but, like, you know, I, I've gotten, like, a couple of hours into this, and I have yet to feel any challenge. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I've never been in a position where I'm like, whoa, like, am I, am I going to lose? It, it, it's, all been, it's all been very basic to me. I guess, like, it's free to play. It's worth playing if you have an iPad. But I don't think that, like, for people who are really into, like, deep tactics RPGs, that they're going to stick with it for extremely long. I don't want to set the world on fire 
just want to start a flame in your heart. All right, Emrys, uh, they recently released Fallout Shelter for the Android platform. Yeah. Let's hear about that. <clears throat> this is a game that I was really excited about because I was a big fan of uh, Fallout 3. When Fallout 4 got announced, uh, I went back and I played all the Fallout stuff that I, like Fallout New Vegas stuff that I never touched before. Mm-hmm. Because I really wanted to get back in the mood for Fallout 4. And uh, as a tie-in, sort of as a promotional I think, like a promotional game, they put out this cool Fallout Shelter, which is a free-to-play sort of uh, tower-building game for uh, iOS. And just a few weeks ago, they put it out on Android. Um, So I was really excited to get my hands on it because I love that universe. Now, uh, everything about the Fallout games is very highly crafted, Bethesda at this point is one of those like double A developers that they can put just a a high level of polish on everything they, they touch. And, uh, it definitely shows through in fallout shelter. Uh, one of the things that you sort of realize when you, um, when you review a lot of these independent mobile games is that when you're dealing with an indie developer, some stuff just isn't going to be top-notch. Like, the graphics will be okay, the sound will be okay. And then when somebody like Bethesda goes to put out basically the same kind of mobile, just simple interaction game, the level of polish is just really, really high. Mm-hmm. So that, I think, is the number one thing that strikes me about Fallout Shelter, is just the art is fantastic. Uh, the little characters have a ton of personality and the interface when it works is very slick. Uh, the way it works is that you are the overseer of a, uh, shelter for the nuclear disaster. Um, you're responsible for, um, putting people to work and making the most out of the resources of your, uh, little vault. So, you know, you build the elevators and you build the rooms. Um, there's basically three types of resources, which is energy, food, and water. So if you have enough energy rooms, then you can build more rooms of the other type. If you have a lot of people, you need food and water. If they don't have enough water, they lose, uh, the radiation health. And if they don't have enough food, they lose regular hit points. It's pretty straightforward and simple stuff. So you build the rooms, and you can upgrade them, and you have your little people that you drag around to assign, and it's it's pretty great. Um, all the the little art, all the rooms look really distinct, and all the characters have a lot of personality. The writing is really funny. You know, I haven't even like looked that much at the writing, but but yeah, if you zoom in on them, they'll talk to each other. They'll be like, "Hey, I really want to go see the Eiffel Tower," and they'll be like, "Yeah, if it still exists." The interactions that I have seen are pretty cool. A lot of people say that, you know, their vault burned down, like, immediately. 
I actually haven't experienced a lot of challenge. So far, the most challenging thing that's happened to me is when rad roaches, like, burst into a room that's not occupied. They'll suddenly, like, explode into every nearby room. If there's just one person there, they won't do that. Hmm. But if there's nobody there, they immediately, like, infect every room in your vault, and it's a huge disaster and people die. But otherwise, I have not had any real challenge. The big problem with things like rad roach attacks is the user interface kind of leaves a lot to be desired. Like, it works okay. Like, and like I was saying about the polish, like, it's really, it's really slick and great for just the basic layer of interaction where you're, like, tapping on the things, tapping on the rooms to collect the water and the food and the energy. But as soon as you want to, like, move one guy from a room on one side of your vault to a room on the other side of your vault, it turns into, like, total hell. You have to, like, zoom in really far in order to differentiate the little tiny man who might be behind something. He's, like, on a little balcony, and then you have to tap on him and then drag, and then it, like, zooms out real slow, and you have to drag, and then it zooms... And then you like your finger like slips off the little guy because you have giant sweaty meat fingers like I do. And then like he might get reassigned to, you know, your empty storage room where he's not doing any good. And then if you don't really notice that you messed it up, you might lose your like star, you know, energy producer in an empty room for like 3 hours, you know? And uh there are little like there are little like bits that you can click on that make this a little bit easier. But like you can, for example, if you want to change a position in a room, you click on the room, you click on the roster button, you click on the button that you're trying to fill. And then you can like sort all of your dwellers by, you know, their strength or their perception. So there are seven, there are seven different attributes that your guys can have. So if you want to sort everybody by agility, you have to, like, click through all six other things. And then, like, every time my thumb would, like, hit the wrong millimeter of screen and it would just stop. It would just cancel out of everything. And so I would scream, you know, God damn it, and that kind of thing. You can zoom all the way out, which turns off all the animations, which in theory should make it easier. But, but when you're all the way zoomed out, the little people are impossible to click on. They're just too small on my little phone. So uh, the interface has been the biggest complaint that I have about it. It's really pretty. Uh, the art, I was saying, is good. The rooms all look very distinct. Like at any zoom level, you can tell exactly what room you're looking at. The little outfits that you can find are adorable. You can, like, equip your guys in armor or, like, you know, business suits. My favorite feature is where you send your guys out into the wilderness. I happen to get really lucky. Um, one of my first lunchboxes, which are sort of the microtransaction content, are called lunchboxes. You get a bunch for free right at the beginning of the game, and one of my first ones had a huge gun in it that does, like, 20 damage. So I have not had to worry about raiders or anything, and, like, I just sent my guy with a 20 damage gun out into the wilderness, and he came back, like, three hours later with a bunch more guns. 
So, like, I can equip everybody pretty much in my vault with a gun, and then things just stop being very challenging. Uh, but they look really great with their little outfits that you find out in the in the wasteland, and they have great little animations depending on what position they're working in a, in a particular room. Like, all the different stuff has a different little animation associated with it. It's quite rich with detail. Um, the room designs are, are beautiful. It's really fun to look at. Uh, and, like, when you solve... When, you, when, like, a fire breaks out, they all have fire extinguishers. Then they do a little hip-hip-hooray dance at the end when they gain XP. And, like, you see the little XP letters float over their head. Like, the level of polish is super, super high. Uh, and it's just, it sounds really great, like, when you're tapping on the guys when they level up, which is the primary way you gain currency, I think. I can't recall if um, they carried over the cool, like, vintage music for this game. Um, yeah, the music is pretty good. Like, I think there's only really one track, maybe two tracks, depending on, like, if you're focused on one thing or the other. But it's not like the 1940s sort of, like, jazz well, stuff, here, let or me is it? turn the volume up. Oh, no, it's ambient vault sound. There's a lot of ambient stuff. I remember that. Oh, and then I guess if you, like, zoom in on the radio room. Yeah, there's music. Oh, that's cute. There's different music depending on which room you're looking at, but it's not it's not like the '50s um, bebop music like the that you hear in the you know the video openings yeah. from the games. It's just ambient like uh, instrumental stuff. The game is very annoying, not like in a bad way, but in in just like like every five minutes you look at your phone and it's like hey hey something happened in your vault. Come look at your vault. Something happened in your vault. And you're like, okay, all right. And you tap on it, and it's like, you can collect water now. <laughs> so you're like, okay, I'll collect all the water and the food and the shit that I'm have to tap on. Uh, the nice thing is that once you're done tapping on everything, the game doesn't ask anything more of you. Like, you can put it away, but it does it really frequently. <laughs> so it's right on the line where it's not quite annoying enough to get angry about it. But it's so distracting. Like, I was trying to put my set list together for our comedy show on Saturday. And the whole time, I'm like, every five minutes, I'm like picking up my phone. I'm tapping on the stuff. Checking in with my guy in the wasteland. And then I have to put it down. So I have to give the game credit for just being irritating without being obnoxious. <laughs> Is that what video games are now? Like, they're just distractions as opposed to leisure well here's the thing depends on the platform i found myself enjoying fallout shelter while i was looking at it like i think the the ambiance is really good like it's not high stress uh and it's it's enjoyable to look at and like you're you there's lots to get curious about like oh have i assigned my guys properly is like who i should impregnate like half my population <laughs> which is that's one thing that's super <laughs> fucked up about this game. It gets a little icky. Like, overall, the diversity of the game is really good. Like, there's black people and white people and Asian people, and they're all different hair colors, and it's cool. But the way you increase your population is, like, 100% impregnating every female person in your vault, which would be kind of okay, except that... 
when they're pregnant, these women will not do anything. <laughs> they will do their little job in whatever room you assign them to. But then if a rad roach attack breaks out or if mole rats break out or if there's a fire, they run screaming to the bedroom. And like, so you'll have a really capable woman like in charge of your power station. And then she gets pregnant and she has a gun and she won't use her gun anymore. She'll just run screaming that's fucked up. I, I guess their morning sickness is how they get to decide. Uh, I mean, is where they get their um, pint of vomit from, though, right? Must exactly. Be. That must be. Mm-mm-mm. I can taste the baby. Yeah. The microtransactions. <laughs> I'm not even dignifying that with an answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dignifying it with laughing at it. So the microtransactions are very, like, very non-aggressive. Uh, like, for one thing, it's a single-player game, and it's pretty much, like, just an ad for Fallout 4, I kind of feel like. <laughs> so they sort of threw in the microtransactions just to make whatever money they put off of it, which is totally fine. And they're very polite about it. Like, if you, the way you do it is you buy these lunchboxes, and the lunchboxes just have goodies in them. Like, you can get money or, you know, energy or med packs or whatever. You can find, like, a sweet gun like I did. And every lunchbox has, like, one rare item or a unique dweller in it. Like, if you want to accelerate the game, like, you buy a bunch of lunchboxes and you open them up and you get, like, oh, I have badass McGillicuddy. He can uh, make the most food. You know, or you get, like, a sweet outfit and you can send your guy out to the wasteland and he won't die for, like, nine hours. And you can buy as many of these fucking lunch boxes as you want, or zero. Eventually, you'll get a little quest, and you can complete the quest, and you get a lunch box. They're not very common. You might get one of them or two of them a day. But if you want lunch boxes, eventually you'll get them if you just do the little quests they give you. And the quests, I think, get in- increasingly difficult over time. Like, I think... After a while, it stops being reasonable to complete a quest. Like, I have a quest right now. It's kill two death claws without using a weapon. Whoa. Which. No easy feat. I don't even know how you do that. Like, I have yet to run into a death claw because I'm very conservative about opening the vault. But I don't want to fight one without a weapon. <laughs> so <laughs> I think the further you get in the game, the more difficult the quests become. And then eventually you're like, okay, I'll just buy a bunch of lunchboxes. But the game does not even ask you to buy lunchboxes. Like, at no point does it interrupt the game to be like, hey, you should spend money on these. The mechanics are cool. If you want to get extra, like, if you're running low on food and you want extra food, you can rush your food room. And then there's, like, a 30% chance it'll fail and then everything catches on fire. And that's kind of fun. So, like, even if you fail, all your little guys get experience points for putting out the fire. And then if you pass, you get a bunch of food, you get some money. It's great. And it really encourages you to just keep looking at that little screen and keep tapping on the little guys. Keep tap, tap, tapping. And overall, like, of all the free-to-play experiences, I think this one might be the best combination of annoying, (laughs) engaging and polite, and, like, fun to play. So I'm pretty happy with it. 
Uh, overall, I give Fallout Shelter 111% out of 100%. Well, now we're going to jump back in time. Only a few years this time, not as far as we usually do. And I'm hoping this review goes well because um, I deleted my save file in this game so I could restart. And it, you know, erased all my progress, deleted all my DLC, and all in the name of Portable Power. We appreciate your sacrifice. <laughs> Thank you. reviewing Dragon Quest IX Sentinels of the Starry Skies for the Nintendo DS. This was developed by Square Enix and Level 5, released July 11th, 2010 in the United States. I was inspired to do this review because there's been a lot of Dragon Quest news breaking over the past few months. We've had Dragon Quest Heroes coming out on PS4, we've had um, the 3DS port of Dragon Quest VIII, and then most recently the amazing looking uh, Dragon Quest XI uh, for PS4 and 3DS. So all this hype got me in the mood to return to the few uh, Dragon Quest games I actually own. So first I busted out my NES, and I played a little bit of Dragon Warrior for about half an hour with my son, but I just gave up because I was so frustrated with it because I'm not good at those old games. And Sorry, Iwata. But um, I actually played Dragon Quest VIII for a number of weeks this summer, but man, as, as beautiful and wonderful as I think that game is, it's so grind heavy and I'm not I'm not sure I can stick with it. I may never beat it. So here we are with Dragon Quest Nine. It's only five years old and really the last true Dragon Quest game that we had here in the United States. And I could sum up my feelings of this game with just one sentence. It's my favorite Nintendo DS game and one of my favorite uh, Japanese role playing games of all time, handheld or otherwise. And, you know, that could be the end of my review. We could all go to sleep, get ready for Monday and the work week ahead of us. But, uh, no, no, no. I'm going to keep going. I've got five pages of notes here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm halfway through page one. Um, so I'll give you a little bit of the backstory. In, in, in the world of Dragon Quest Nine, guardian angels exist, and they reside in this big observatory in the heavens, and specific regions of the earth below are assigned to each one of these guardian angels that they call... Um, Celestrians and they serve and protect them. Um, your character is a rookie Celestrian assigned to this little town called Angel Falls. And guess what happens there? An angel does something. It falls. Falls from heaven. <sighs> Literally and, and metaphorically falls. So um, suddenly you're visible to all the earthlings. You lose all your powers. And then, you know, along the way there's, there's, there's lots of monsters and a flying train and this slutty fairy who, <laughs> who sus she suspiciously hangs out on menu screens a lot like Aerie from Bravely Default except she's not evil oops spoilers oh who cares you can spoil Bravely Default all you want that yeah. game is garbage screw that game <laughs> and actually the nice thing about the fairy in Dragon Quest IX is she 
um, she gives you a brief re- rundown of like the last major story event and like your current goals. And you can also press a button and it takes you to a menu and um, you can read a more thorough recap of the game because how many times have you been playing like a huge RPG and you take a break, whether it's like, oh, I got to go grind for a while or maybe like you don't play for a couple days and then you forget where you are, you forget what you're doing. Um, so this helps with that. Much like... Angel Falls, many of the towns, the characters, the creatures, the items, the quests have funny, alliterative, or clever names. It's sort of a staple of the series, but they really went for it in this game. There's there's this town in Dragon Quest IX called Zir that I think exists solely so that the twin town, it's literally an exact duplicate of this town, but it's been turned to stone, can be named Zir Rocks. Get it? Photocopies? Stones? Oh. Yeah. So there's also a school for um, like magician kids named Swine Dimples, which is an obvious homage to Harry Potter and Hogwarts. Um, there's a character called Jack of All Trades Abbey who gets cursed and turned into the Master of None. So anyway, the localization team clearly had a ball with this game. Um, the story and dialogue overall aren't amazing, but the humor and the clever use of the English language uh, will probably keep you entertained. So let's talk about the meat of the game, the battle system. Um, there are both scripted and uh, semi-random battles. And what I mean by semi-random is like enemies appear on the field, and they can usually be avoided unless they like chase after you, which is something they really only do if they're like a higher level. Enemies... Enemies that are lower level than you will actually like run away from you, and when you're trying to grind, it's really annoying. Um, so the battles, though, they're not quite as random as other RPGs. And besides, like uh, again, Bravely Default, aside from that game's like slider for battle frequency, I think this is like the best approach for random battles for gamers of the 21st century. It's it's not so annoying. You can actually get from one place to another and not have 50 battles taking up all your time. But the battles are turn-based, and they've sort of evolved from previous Dragon Quest games, at least visually anyway. Um, 30 years ago, they, they were like first-person, practically like static battles, and later Dragon Quest games are closer to other JRPGs that you've played, where like, you know, maybe the characters step forward, perform a move, and then resign to their previous position. But Dragon Quest IX is way cooler because it features this like dynamic camera during the battle. So the characters will actually like go out in the field and they'll cir- circle around each other and perform attacks. The camera will zoom and circle to focus in on the action. And so even though the battlefields are they're not very visually impressive, you know, they're like your average Pokemon battle screen. But uh, all the movement that's going on and all the shifts in camera angles and stuff really give it this nice cinematic and like energetic touch that I haven't really seen in games like this before or even since, I guess. I remember being impressed with it on like for a portable RPG battle system. That that sort of like idea is going to come up a lot. That, oh, for a portable game, I was really impressed with this. Mm-hmm. Because I think this game sort of is very, very close to a console RPG experience on a handheld. But So a little bit more in-depth about the battle system. Um, during the battles, uh, by chance, since it's not exactly within your control, you can execute combos by having your party perform the same attack uh, without interruption. So like if you just have everybody do attack, if, if they can get them off in a row without being interrupted, then it'll multiply the damage. So I think, it, it, yeah, it goes up to double damage with the fourth character. So if 
uh, what am I trying to say? Oh, well, anyway, if if one player does something different, or if like you know if they block or whatever, if the enemy's attack falls between one of the characters of your party's attack, then the combo gets interrupted, the damage reset. It's really hard to pull off by your own volition due to you just not being able to tell when the enemy's going to strike. But when you, when you actually get that 200% attack as your fourth attack uh, at the string of like a, a bunch of powerful hits or, or spells or whatever, like it's super satisfying. Um, your characters can also build up to a, forgive me for not being good with French, but a coup de gras. This is a powerful move that it's different for every single class. Sometimes it's a buff or a healing ability. Other times it's like these you know, fancy attacks. They're rather impressive visually, and of course they're very rare because as far as I can tell, you can't activate them yourself. Like The conditions seem to be arbitrary, and I know there are ways to like increase the chance of activating them after reading some guides, but... Um, I don't think there's any way to definitively go, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to set up this grand thing. And what's cool is if all four characters are primed for one of these, which is even more rare, um, you can do a co-op coup de gras, and it results in like significantly more powerful moves. Um, between these and the combos, like I would have preferred this stuff to be more within your control, but the randomness didn't bother me too much. It's, it's like a nice surprise. When they happen, you're like, oh, dang, here we go. Um, character creation is a new feature uh, in this game, and you get to create not only your hero, but your party as well. So from hairstyle, eye color, face shape, body type, it's, it's, all, it's all there. It's all fairly limited, but with enough time, you can effectively piece together you know, a serious or even a silly character. The downside is there's minimal character development for the main character, your avatar, and absolutely zero character development for the other members of your party. I mean, making it worse, like during main story scenes and events, your party are just inexplicably absent. They're just like hollow shells of characters, like bodies fulfilling these necessary positions. But I guess the trade-off is you get full control over all their clothing, their hair, their weapons, their class, and all that stuff. Something I love about this game, the armor and weapons that you equip are visible. You know, a lot of RPGs, it's not like that. Even Dragon Quest VIII, none of the characters... You, you, whatever you equip, your your main character is wearing that stupid raincoat all the time. But um, except for except for uh, Jessica, um, Jessica was the only character in eight you could like basically you change her, her armor and it's physically represented because most of her armor was like dominatrix attire and lingerie, <laughs> and, and it seemed like the the le- the least the less she wore, the better her stats were. <laughs> I don't know how that works, but I have to say like one of the highlights of Dragon Quest Nine was just equipping these. Like being able to get like a matching set of armor, and there are some really really awesome sets later in the game. Vocations are Dragon Quest IX's version of classes or jobs. You can choose the initial class of everyone in the party that you create, except your avatar. You always start as a minstrel, I guess, which is basically like a generic vocation that can use weapons and magic with like you know reasonable amount of effectiveness. Later in the game, you find a place where you can change your vocation. And there are six to choose from at first, but there are six more that become unlockable uh, after you do certain quests. And the upsides to changing your vocation are obvious. You know, uh, access to new armor, new weapons, new abilities, and all the stuff that you have yet to try. But the downside to changing your vocation is all, like, it sets your character to level one. And I don't mean, <laughs> oh, no. I don't mean the level of that class 
or vocation, I mean your character's level drops to one. You lose your HP, you lose your MP, you lose your abilities, your spells, your stats decrease. So you're halfway through the game, and suddenly you have to level up really fast to catch up with your progress. Like, forget about going to the next dungeon, because you're going to be grinding for, like, four hours. Like, so it's kind of annoying, but um, if you keep, like, one or two higher-level characters in your party, you can kind of level... You can kind of balance it a little bit and level up pretty fast, like, jump levels and stuff. Um, and if it really bothers you, you know, and you want to progress, you can always jump back to your previous class, and you immediately gain back all that stuff that you lost. Like, your level, your HP, and all that stuff is tied to the class. Wait, that's a weird design choice. I'm not sure why they would yeah. do it that way. I don't know. I was, I was actually playing today, and I'm like, you know what? I want to be a martial artist. And suddenly I went from 100 HP to 23 HP. And I'm like, wow, this is going to be weird because now I'm unarmed and I'm in, like, slacks and no shirt. <laughs> yeah. You, you don't keep any benefits from your old class when you switch over? I don't believe so. There's no benefit to mixing them. Yeah. Which would be, which would be cool. Like, in, uh, they could do that in Bravely Default if I'm, if I'm not mistake, mistaken. But um, Yeah, you can. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why they went with that <laughs> that design choice. Yeah, that's normally the whole point of like being able to change your your job is so that you can like mix and match various mm-hmm. benefits from each of them. Yeah, very few things carry over. Like when I when I like I said I switched to a martial artist, I lost all my spells. And maybe I <laughs> maybe if I had switched to another spell using character, they would still be there. But I switched to a, a, like a melee style character, so maybe he just doesn't have access to those spells. I don't really know. But yeah. Um, but there's more to this game than battling. Like, what modern RPG doesn't have dozens of hours worth of optional, meaningless quests? <laughs> the the side quest system in Dragon Quest Nine is very influenced, I think, by the Elder Scrolls series. Like, huh. you'll meet characters with problems or requests. They'll be in a town or on the field or just about anywhere, and you can trigger a side quest. Most of these quests involve... You know, retrieving certain items or a number of items or killing a certain monster or a number of monsters. You know, basically glorified fetch quests. But it's a nice way to extend the life of the game. And they are, I think, better diversions from the main quest than stuff like mini games in Zelda or like Chocobo breeding or something. Or (laughs) Blitzball. Screw Blitzball. That was the worst. (laughs) Um, The main story of Dragon Quest IX is not very difficult. It's certainly far easier than Dragon Quest VIII. I think I remember dying once on my first playthrough. But I was a grind whore, so we'll see. It's not a terribly long game either. Maybe 40 hours, you know, average for an RPG. But I think the side quests can keep you busy for way longer. Like hundreds of hours, probably. And the real challenge is going to lie in the post-game content. Um, Besides the hundreds like 200 and something really uh side quests you can get these treasure maps that lead to these like nasty difficult dungeons called grottos that hold these like great treasures but also just horrible awful evil bosses um and sometimes it's cool they're like throwback bosses from old games old dragon quest games but i I think my original playthrough i successfully completed one or two grottos with a lot of frustration and then i never tried one again but I know at the time, like, when this game was still pretty new, like, um, I'm, I, I seem to recall the community really being caught up in, like, the grotto hunt. Because you have to get a treasure map, find the grotto, and then da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> there's a lot to this game. So, um, as in previous Dragon Quest games, there's alchemy, which is a way to, like, mix your items and materials to create, like, herbs and tinctures that you can use to heal or boost stats. 
Um, you can make new weapons, new armor, new accessories. And what's nice is once you collect an item, you can select it in a menu and see the places where the item is found. So you're not just wandering aimlessly. Like I can see a lot of people getting satisfaction from this feature even today. Like, I don't know, Minecraft kids come to mind, just like experimenting with combinations of stuff. But when I played uh, my first time and you know, this time too, I never really used it all that much. It just, I just became sort of this item hoarder. So my inventory is just so much horse manure. <laughs> <laughs> so much. Aesthetics. Uh, Dragon Quest IX looks pretty good. I don't know. I was playing out my new 3DS XL, so it's all kind of stretched out and washed out. and I don't know. But it's, it's very PS1-esque. Um, but the art direction and character design by the, the legendary Akira Toriyama of, of Dragon Ball fame is outstanding. And... Everything is rendered in full 3D. This is a regular DS game, so not like 3D, 3D, but like, you know, polygonal graphics. Um, Except that most of the um, NPCs are sprites. And I assume this is a measure to keep the thing, everything running smoothly on your uh, humble DS hardware. You know, it kind of runs, I'd say it runs at roughly like 30 frames per second normally. But once you have like a party of four and you're in certain areas, like it can get dipped. To probably 15 or 20 but i mean it's not like this is a game that depends on a solid frame rate it's not like a fighting game or a shooter so it's it's not like a huge deal music is it's very well composed you know as a standard for the series thanks to you know the longtime composer <clears throat> and japanese war crime denier uh koichi sugiyama <laughs> <laughs> i'm not gonna even gonna touch that any more than i just did but um the quality uh is of the music is, is pretty unimpressive due to just the limitations of the, the DS's sound chip. Like, I don't know what's going on there. Like, I think I've heard better quality tunes on a Super Nintendo. So it's kind of a disappointment and a step backwards after, like, the glorious, beautiful symphonic tra- soundtrack that they had in Dragon Quest VIII. I'm still upset about your comment about the Super Nintendo's audio. <laughs> I said that I've, I've heard better quality songs Better quality music on a Super Nintendo. Implying that Super Nintendo is bad? It's not bad. It's old. Dude, I... I'm not... Eh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, will, I, <laughs> I will put on a, like, whatever, six-hour uh, YouTube video of the Final Fantasy VI soundtrack and just, like, draw or whatever. So I... Anyway, I'm not, I don't have to be an apologist. All right, we're, we're, we're okay. We're okay now. Let's, let's, let's talk about death. I simultaneously love and hate the way that death is handled in Dragon Quest games. Like, when one character dies, you usually have to, like, trek back to a church and have the uh, have them re- resurrected and you have to pay a fee. Um, I, I guess there are other ways to revive, but they are not easy to come by. When your imp- entire party dies, you're sent all the way back to the nearest church and resurrected. And that's the bad part. The good part is you don't lose progress, and then the other bad part is you lose half your money, which can be... <laughs> Huge, like if you have a hundred bucks, whatever, you're down to fifty bucks. But if you have ten thousand, and all of a sudden you're down to five thousand, that's when it, you know, big deal. There is a bank in the game where you can safely keep all your money, but it's not exactly convenient when you're, you know, you find a crap load of money mid dungeon, and you don't want to trek back all the way to this one bank in this one town. 
you know, leveling up in this game is challenging enough as experience points later on, especially just feel like they just trickle in through the battles. But like money is like, I just think it's even tougher to get in these games. Like the high level equipment does not come cheap. And if you're grinding at all in Dragon Quest nine, you're probably grinding for money to get to the next uh, battle, you know, so you can have the best armor, the best weapons and stuff. Now all of this and a bunch of other shit that I didn't have time to mention <laughs> make up a really impressive handheld RPG package. But there's more. There's icing on this cake. This game has or had online features. First of all, local co-op. So not online, local co-op for up to four players. Kevin and I tried this out once with two players. I couldn't remember what I was doing, so it wasn't that much fun. But <laughs> there's also tag mode, which was the DS version of Street Pass. And other players um, that you pass, which I never passed one single person. No, that's not true. I think I passed Kevin, and he didn't bring me anything nice. But other players can they'll, they'll like come to the inn, and you can like check out their stuff. And I think they give you gifts and anything. Anyway, like I said, Kevin was the only person I ever tagged in the years that I owned this game. Yeah, I, th- I think you were the only person I ever did it with, too. Yeah. Um, the actual online features, tons of DLC quests. You know, nothing huge, but um, probably... I, uh, dozens for sure. There was a DLC item shop where you could get rarer items sometimes. You could download guests that would stay at the royal suites in the inn. They're usually characters from previous games, a little bit of fan service, and they'll give you armor and weapons. So you could basically turn your custom characters into slutty Jessica from Dragon <laughs> Quest VIII. Um, or whoever. Um, mm. Sadly, I, <laughs> I doubt... Most of the online features still work. Like, I wasn't able to check myself since my router does not play nicely with old Nintendo DS Wi-Fi requirements. I thought all Nintendo DS games were, like, officially down now. You know, anything first party for sure. I don't know 100% about everything. But um, you might be right. So anyway, all that DLC I had is gone forever. Um, I think you can buy and... You didn't hear this from me, but I think you can buy an action replay to acquire this content, but I don't know a lot about those things. They're very legally um, gray, or very, very dark gray, and in general, I don't like what they're primarily primarily used for, which is, um, I think, piratey games and stuff, Yeah. but that's one way to go about it if you're really desperate to get all those quests and items and, and all that stuff. So, all in all, this is a huge game, and a true Japanese role-playing game console experience on a handheld. It's pretty easy to track a copy down these days, and it's relatively affordable. Um, I can't recommend it any higher. I I feel the few negative things I've said are insignificant compared to the massive amount of good stuff that Dragon Quest IX has to offer. And there you go. Go out and buy it. It's like 20 bucks used. That's a steal. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing these old RPGs are so cheap sometimes, and there's just so much content, you can play them for like 100 hours. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, this game sold pretty well, and that's why it's it's not too hard to find. But yeah, that's an episode, I guess. Sometimes we trail off into hilarious conversations at the very end, I don't know. I think today we're, we're still tired from yesterday. Yeah. I understand. <laughs> I'm definitely worn out, and drinking a beer did not help that. No, no. Well, um, I believe we're returning possibly mid-month, spoiler, Yeah. in September, um, if all goes well. That'd be cool. That would be cool, because <laughs> starting this episode 
and uh, lately just a lot of the episodes it's like uh what do we do it's like somehow <laughs> that month that month between episodes we go back to having the skills of that we did when <laughs> first month ever of podcasting or something i i miss doing two episodes a month i do i i don't know how i would do it yeah mm-hmm. but like i definitely enjoyed doing two a month like if it, it felt like there was yeah it, it because i know that every single time we do an episode now it feels like they're so far apart yeah yeah, yeah. It, it's true and it also just if it's I don't know what it is for this like hour or two that we talk, but I feel like there's just hours of work that go into it. <laughs> and that's the biggest problem is mm-hmm. like, I don't like, it's really hard for me. Like as sad as this is like just with everything, work and kids and, and freelance stuff and everything, like it's hard for me to review two games a month. It's hard for me to play one game a month. Yeah. I'm lucky I get an hour a day to play video games. And so what do I do? Do I play the game? that I'm not enjoying on iOS, to review. <laughs> but I need to, because I want to, f- I want to give a thorough review or do I, do I go downstairs and play smash bros for, you know, until I pass out. Right. So that's, that's the issue that I have with doing two episodes. If we did maybe like a review episode and then like a lighter content episode, it could be, we could go back to it. Maybe. Yeah. I, 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 th- I think, I'm, I'm having largely the, the same thing. I mean, I, I don't have, like, the responsibilities of, like, you know, having kids. And, like, I, I've been I've been turning away freelance projects because I just don't want to deal with it. But, yeah, like, my, my, my video game time is just limited because, like, I'm trying to do other things. Yeah. So, so yeah, like, similar to, similarly to you, like, you know, what, when, I'm, when I'm getting that, you know, like, lunch break or whatever... I'm like, oh, I really want to like make it a little bit further in Fire Emblem Awakening because you know I'm replaying that still. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah like it, it, it was really hard to make myself. Like I said, you know, Loot and Legends wasn't bad, mm-hmm. but like, if you give me a choice of Loot and Legends or Fire Emblem, like it's that's not really fair. Yeah. Well, and there's also just something to having to play a game. Right. Like there's something that like there's this resistance. Like I don't know why. Like I'm en- I enjoyed replaying Dragon Quest Nine, but there was something about having to play it that made me not look forward to it, and mm-hmm. it felt like work. It m- it might also be playing a JRPG after playing Bravely Default, where like as as much <laughs> of as much as of Bravely Default was dog shit in many ways. Like they really did handle like a lot of the battling and like grinding and stuff appropriately. No, that game mechanically is wonderful. Mm-hmm. I just my only problem with Bravely Default was the, the the artificial extending of the story. Right. That's it. That everything else about that game was awesome. I think I sold it a while ago. <laughs> I should probably sell my copy. Well, I guess that's it for this month well the, no i just that's not true i guess that's it for this week um, <laughs> uh we'll be back hopefully mid-september if it all pans out you guys should go to bed it's, it's late. almost 1 a.m yeah yeah i'm gonna pass out from this <laughs> measly beer that i had yeah i'm about to do that from mine as well uh peace out homies good night Thanks for listening, everybody. Go over to portablepower.popularoutcast.com. Clear your cookies or use incognito mode. Do the shopping that you'd normally do. We'll get a small cut of whatever it is you spend at no additional cost to you. Help us get noticed. 
go over to iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe to the Portable Power Podcast. Get in touch with us. Maybe you'd like to send us a game review request or your own answer to our question of the week. You can email us at portablepowerpodcast at gmail.com or use Facebook, facebook.com slash portablepowerpodcast or get in touch with us on Twitter at portablepowerfm. Drink responsibly and listen to the next episode of the Portable Power Podcast so you can witness what happens when people don't.